0: to social workers break room this is Imelda and I'm Jennifer and today we bring you the new graduate survival guide survival sounds a little scary like what do you mean by survival will I need to learn how to start a fire with rocks or should I start a linkedin pro probably both but who knows we'll find out stay with us It is May slash June, some, you know, depending on when you're listening to this episode. And you have completed your degree. Congratulations. Woo! Yay. So the graduation ceremonies and parties were fun. You received messages from friends and family congratulating you. You might have even decorated your cap. Um, you took photos and you celebrate your accomplishments. That's amazing. But then... Reality sets in. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. And then you realize it's time to start thinking about your next steps and jobs. You're going to pay them loans, but not right now. Don't you get like a six month? You get six Th- months. Yeah. And right now we're out till September. Till September. <laughs> Thank Joe Biden. Um, If you're lucky... <laughs> Thank you for like one thing. Thank you for one thing. Otherwise, I'm pissed. (laughs) I'm mad at you this week. Um, If you're lucky, you might have landed a job before graduating or you were already employed and you're up for a promotion now that you have your degree or you're looking forward to staying in the job that you have had for a few years. But sometimes this is not the experience of everyone. If you finish your BSW or any other bachelor's degree, you know, in the social services or uh, liberal arts um, field, and you're planning on continuing to graduate school for your MSW, then you're probably already well into the application process and looking to um to see what's, you know, what's the next step and what is needed for you to get into an MSW program. Um We know life after graduation might look very different for everyone. So for the purposes of this episode, we're focusing on landing a job after graduation, either with your bachelor's or with your master's. Both Jennifer and I have been there trying to explore the options after graduation and navigating the job market. So we want to share with you some of the tips that have been useful for us along the way, not only as newly grads, you know, a few years ago, but also as professionals now that we have had the chance to be in some management positions and do interviews and hiring. So we want to share those tips with you. We want to make this episode somewhat interactive and useful for you. So we recommend you gain a pen and paper or, you know, something for you to write with on your computer or whatnot um, and follow along some props and take notes as uh, we'll, we'll be giving you a lot of useful information and tips that you can use in your, in your job search journey. But we want to start off by walking you through the process of the first Three steps uh, that can get your planning going, your brainstorming of your next steps going. Number one, consider the content that you have learned in your classes, in your internships or other activities that you have performed during your education and make a list of three top areas of interest that you like. Um, It could be that you were really interested in play therapy or trauma-informed care or community building and advocacy, um, community mental health, etc. So identify these three top topics or fields, I guess, um, that stood out for you during your education. This will help you guide what areas and what type of jobs you want to go into.
1: Because you didn't go get your MSW to just go work and you were random, right? Like you probably got your MSW or your BSW for a reason. So don't write off things that aren't in your immediate scope of interest, but also start with what you love. The point of this wasn't to finish a degree, to just go out and be miserable. Start with stuff you like, and it'll make the whole rest of your career a lot easier.
0: Right. And even if your dream job, it's not something that you can get right after college, you know what's the path to get to that dream job so you can guide your career in that direction. Okay, Number two. (music) ask yourself if any of your previous internship or field placement sites will be interested in hiring you. I've seen sometimes that some field placement agencies, they offer um, a position if it opens up to previous interns and then they bring them on as full-time employees. But if this is not the case, if they don't have any openings or you just didn't like um, the, or you're not interested in working in the agency where you did your field, field placement, reach out to the people who were your supervisor, or your field supervisor, and ask if they will be willing to do a professional reference for you. Uh, you will always need professional references at your job application. So it's always good to ask them first before uh, you add them to the list. I It has happened to me a few times mm-hmm. when I have had interns and then there's a potential... Um, agency where they have applied, and they re- the agency or the, the company reaches out to me like, so and so puts you as a reference when the student never asked or never reached out to me saying, like, hey, would it be cool? So, just to give me the heads up. Right. You know, so of course, you know, I give them a good reference, but it's always nice to give the person you're putting down as a reference a heads up that you're adding them to your application. Number three. <laughs> What are the absolute non-negotiables that you're looking for in a job? We all have them. And and if you don't have them, then start thinking about those mm-hmm. because it will help you set boundaries of what you want and you don't want. It could be how long the commute is from your house. If you're, you know, you you accept a job or apply for a job that is like an hour and a half away from your house, Oof. you're gonna get burned out pretty quickly. Um it could be if uh, if the benefits package covers covers maternity or paternity leave, if you 're planning on you know having children or having more children in the next few years, that 's some of the things that you you know want to think about, and having a good idea of the must haves is important as well, yeah, and I think
1: one of the things that maybe you know a lot of times we think of like standard benefit packages like your health your dental p t o paid sick time. Do they offer CEUs? Do they offer time off for your CEUs? Are they going to pay you back for your license? Like there's a lot of things in the benefit package. If you just ask broadly what's in it, a lot of times they'll have a one-pager or can explain it to you. One of the things that I've noticed often doesn't always come up immediately in the interview. A lot of times pay will. But they won't immediately tell you if the position is a W-2 position versus a 1099 position. And this is so, so important. Mm-hmm. If you are in a W-2 position, your employer is required to do certain things, again, like paid sick leave, offer health insurance you know, to full-time employees, FMLA, pay taxes on your behalf. If you're a 1099, in a lot of cases, you're not entitled to any of that, it also means you have to pay your own taxes, mm-hmm. which for a lot of people, a good general rule is to set aside 30% if you have to pay them by yourself. So a lot of these you know, private practices will hire people right out of school. Oh, it's such a good job. $30 a session. And people are like, that's amazing. But by the time you take 30% away from that $30 and your commute and paying for your own liability insurance, and sometimes they make you pay for your own clinical supervision, yeah. It. I remember one place I was at. It came down to about minimum wage, oh my God. and I was like, I can't do psychotherapy for minimum wage. That's a lot of emotional labor for yeah. not a fair wage.
0: And even though you can write off a lot of those expenses on your tax report, it's still, um, yeah. For some people, being a full time employee versus a contractor or a, free la- um, a freelancer, mm-hmm. um, it's it's a it's a deal breaker because of those. Um, Those things that you have to take into account that you have to, you will have to, uh, you will get a full paycheck, you know, no taxes taken out of it. But then at the end of the year, uh, you will have to pay... You own a fair share of taxes and some other expenses. So there's no and no, no other benefits or PTO. So if you don't work, you don't get paid. Exactly. So yeah, asking what the no-show cancellation fee
1: is. If there isn't one, a lot of agencies don't have one. So if you don't work, you don't get paid. Also, if you're an independent contractor, you have to pay estimated quarterly taxes. So you have to pay your own taxes four times a year. Calculate them yourself or use a tax professional. But if you pay them later, wait till the end of the year, you're going to owe fees. And a lot of no one ever sits you down and says, Mm-mm. You're an independent contractor. That's what this means. And this is how you pay taxes. So making sure you know which is which and you prepare yourself to be successful in either one of those situations. Yep. So what we'll talk a little bit about next is once you've kind of hopefully made it to the interview, Amelda and I are going to share some questions that we've often asked in our interviews. Um, Mine are going to be more based towards kind of direct practice, and I'll go over, you know, some things that I always ask about and what I consider to kind of be some green flags and answers that I get and some red flags. So I always start off with, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself and why you're looking for a change you know, just a good opener, number one. Number two, it's a two-part question, right? Like, can you remember and follow two-step directions? Mm -hmm. And half the time people will forget one half. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, can you, for five minutes, remember two things? Um, I'm making sure that you have that kind of pitch about yourself. You know, Imelda and I have talked in other episodes about that elevator pitch, Mm -hmm. but tell me a little bit about your career. Tell me what you've done. Tell me, you know, and you're going to want to focus it to what's relevant to the position, right? If you're doing a career change, a portion of the field change, if you're going from micro to macro, macro to micro, You want to tailor it to the position you're interviewing for, right? So, you know, not only should you have done your research, but now you're tailoring a little bit as you talk about yourself. Talking about yourself shouldn't take 10 minutes, but it shouldn't take 20 seconds. For me, it's a red flag when it takes, you know, oh, I went to school, I got my MSW, and I've been working in CPS ever since. Right. And why do I want to change? Because I hate cPS <laughs> right? Like that's a really lame answer. or alternatively, you need to tell me every single thing you've ever done your entire life, right? Like your keep full page. bio yeah. it, and some people really like have given me like when I was born, the operating room was cool. <laughs> I just knew it. and I'm like, we're not just, no, yeah. please. <laughs> We have 30 minutes. You got a Google invite. You know how much time we have. Um, So, And then while you're looking for a change, lots of people are looking for a change because their current position isn't meeting their needs. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's as simple as saying that. One thing that I see a lot of folks do that I consider a huge red flag is they end up spending then half their interview bashing their current employer. They're like, they do this, they do that. They're so unethical. They're the worst. I'm going to lose my license. You know, you can say things like, You know, we're going in a different direction. I want to grow and gain skills in another area. I feel like there's more room for upward mobility at your company. Um, I had made it, you know, kind of to the top of my field where I am and I'm looking to continue to expand and grow, right? There's Mm -hmm. lots of, you know, or even if it's something more simple like commute or schedule or pay, those things are fine too, But you can say that's why you're looking for a change without saying like, well, I need more money and the last place that I was is just terrible and they pay their therapist nothing and everyone should be ashamed to work there, which are real live things, unfortunately, I hear in interviews. So know what you want to say about yourself and know why you're looking for a change. Right. Uh, The next thing I pretty much ask, because again, I do a lot of direct practice work, is what modalities or interventions are you trained in? please know what the word modality and intervention mean and if an employer especially if you're doing a phone interview google it mm-hmm. like it's okay take a little bit of shame take the L google it while you're on the phone with them um, cuz it's important or ask them can you can you rephrase that can you re say that you know you said the word modalities can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that
0: mm-hmm. um what would you suggest for a recent graduate who hasn't had the chance to get trained in any of these they learned about it at school but has um, have a chance to like apply it to a client, how would they respond to a question like this?
1: Yeah. So I think there's two ways. Like number one is you really need to give yourself credit for the fact that you went through a MSW program. You went through an internship and most of you either did a capstone or a portfolio that capstone portfolio research, et cetera, is usually around some sort of evidence-based modality or intervention uh, you may have specific classes at your university. For example, our university offers a class in CBT. A ton of people take it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, or maybe I know our advanced healthcare class usually talks about motivational interviewing for a significant chunk of time. Solution focused brief therapy. So therapies that you don't need specific further training or certification in, but that you learned about in class, you applied it with clients, or, oh, I'm really good at assessments. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. The other thing that I think shows, and at least shows me, and I'm sure lots of other employers, a lot of initiative, is if you're signed up for other trainings or if there's things that you're even interested in. I would rather, I've had you know some, especially new grads, be like, well, I'm not really trained in anything, and my internship sucked, and I didn't (laughs) do a whole lot. Versus I had someone, even just the other day, they're like, you know, honestly, I'm not trained in a whole lot. I'm actually really excited. Um, I'm going to get trained um, in equine-assisted therapy over the next month. I know there might not be, you know, that specific way to leverage that at your agency, but it's because of my continued commitment to learn and grow as a clinician. Mm -hmm. So even if you sign up for like, you know, a $25 DBT course on PESI, right? Like, oh, you know, I don't have a ton of experience in this, but... I'm going to individually fill my own gaps that didn't get filled by my internship, my capstone, and my grad program for some reason.
0: That's a good answer.
1: Um, One of the other things I ask is what evidence-based screening tools or surveys have you used to assess, do differential diagnosis, or measure progress over time? The answer here is not, I do biopsychosocials all the time. Or like, I do assessments, Right. Every social worker does biopsychosocials. Mm-hmm. Every social worker does assessments. So what evidence-based screening tools or surveys? This is like your PHQ-9, your CSSRS, your GAD-7, your DSM cross-cutting measures, your, I've heard, you know, the ACEs, right? Even if you don't use it all the time, what could you use to either assess, do differential diagnosis, or measure your progress in a patient? How would you know they got better empirically? or maybe you haven't used any of those before, how would I know from your note setup patient is getting better? What am I going to be looking for? A lot of times, like, oh, the PHQ-9 score goes down is a really easy way to do that. Um, if you panic, please just say the PHQ-9. <laughs> it's like the most evidence-based screening tool used literally the world over. If you panic, please say PHQ-9 or say the Beck Depression Inventory. Just Give your interview or something, please.
0: Yeah, and then Have you your, can Google
1: them later. <laughs> Have your Plan B go tos in case that you forget everything else. Yeah. Bingo! Yeah. Absolutely, it and happens. keep them by your computer or wherever you're going to do your interview mm-hmm. on a post-it. Yeah. Uh, One of the other questions I always ask is, how do you manage suicidal clients, or how would you manage suicidal clients? And that tells me a lot about how you manage high-stress situations, have you dealt with that population before, and kind of your philosophy on treating people in crisis, right? So a lot of people think, well, I've never been in a job where I've specifically treated suicidal clients. Lots of people will be suicidal at some point. You know, people who work in CPS and APS don't anticipate people to be suicidal, Happens all the time. People who work in hospice. When I worked hospice, I had suicidal clients. I work at the medical hospital. People are suicidal. It happens to a lot of people. So there's no like, well, I work with this population, so it'll never happen to me. It's probably going to happen. So how would you manage it? So how would you know that they were suicidal? Again, an evidence-based screening tool like PHQ-9 or CSSRS would be great answers, because you need to know. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you need to internally have a process where you ask every client clearly every time. Mm -hmm. which a lot of people don't. And if we don't ask, we won't know. And then how do you intervene? I would hope, you know, as social workers, we don't exist to surveil and punish people that your first instinct isn't always to call 911 Mm -hmm. or isn't always, you know, to send them to the hospital, right? Lots of people have suicidal feelings, and they go to work, and they parent children, and they are wonderful partners, and they are great humans. They don't need to go to the hospital every single time. Okay. So every agency is going to have a different plan, but what's your plan? How would you handle a suicidal client? Are you going to panic and call 911? That's one of the things that I look for. Yep. Uh, what experiences do you have with EMRs and technology? I know for some of you who had internships that were a while ago, you were like, I use this one thing, it'll work terribly, and I don't care about it anymore, and I forgot the name of it. Please start to remember or write down somewhere the names of all the softwares you use. They will come back up in your career, I promise you. Even if you're like, oh, I worked for CPS in San Bernardino County, and we use Midas, and I'm never going to
0: see that again. Yes, you will. Yep. I promise you will. <laughs> I feel like most agencies use. The, the same like five or six like they, they rotate them, maybe like a ramification of that system, but it's you know similar to to that so exactly yeah, knowing yeah knowing your systems and being able to list them is super important because all agencies that work with direct you know care patients um they're going to use some type of. EMDR yeah or EMDR, like, AMR <laughs> EMR.
1: Yeah. and even if like you 've just done like financing or maybe you were in a pack internship right like you know if you 've used particular softwares there again like Imelda was saying, they have implications like people are like oh I've used CERN or you've probably never heard of it well number one, of course I've heard of it because it 's a giant EMR number two, I was going to put you on a practice that uses epic and they're both the same level of complexity, so mm-hmm. that lets me know yes, they can handle the complexity of this EMR. Um, if you haven't used DMRs, emphasizing how else you've used technology, as well as again, we're just coming out of a pandemic. A lot of places are still going to do phone and video. Mm. So, how have you used technology during your internship? How have you used technology in the field in general? What's your experience with phone and video, or just generally and genuinely like demonstrating technology competence is a huge part of getting hired in 2021. You have to be able to use a computer. And you have to be able to use it
0: independently. That's like a, a floor standard at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are the basics. But even if you have not worked with with EMRs and a specific technology in the past, showing that you're able to learn fast and that you have used other systems, uh, it gives the, the, the employer, potential employer, the, the idea that, okay, this person can be trained on this. Right. So for example, of like
1: red flag versus green flag, you know, I've had and hired lots of people who had only ever worked in paper charts before. But, you know, red flag person, like, no, I've never used any before. Oh, tell me a little bit about how, okay, it doesn't sound like your agency had Neymar. How else have you used technology in the workplace? Oh, my agency, they don't do anything like that. Mm. Bad answer, red flag. Yeah. Versus I had someone who was like, hey, you know, I've only really worked in paper charts. Um, however, I did most of my master's degree online. You know, we were hybrid throughout the pandemic. I turned in all my assignments through there. I was able to navigate that quickly and easily. Mm-hmm. You know, I was able to do papers and research and, you know, my capstone and everything else. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, they haven't done E-Mars before, but they clearly understand how to use a computer, how to navigate the internet. Those are things that, again, like really employers are going to expect you to come in with at this point. So demonstrating that competency because you probably have it. Yeah. I've had people tell me, like, oh, I've only ever used paper charts. And my agency was way out of date. And then I look at their resume and they went to an online MSW program. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know how to use a computer, but you didn't tell me that. Yeah. Finally, um, your availability which important to know again, like for your boundaries, when someone asks your availability, like if you say that you're available anytime or can be flexible, then I'm assuming that you can do some evenings and weekends. Cause you literally said anytime I'm flexible. So if I hire you and then you go, Oh no, I can only do eight to four or seven to three. Cause I have kids to pick up. I need to know that up front. So if somebody asks your availability in an interview, you know, they're Part of the reason they might hire you is because you have the availability necessary for this position. So making that clear up front and knowing what your boundaries are. Are you willing to work a couple nights a week? Are you willing to work one weekend a month? Are you willing to be on call? Are you willing to do a split shift? What does that look like? And knowing very clearly going into that interview what your availability looks like. The other is if I'm hiring for part-time positions, I'll often ask people, how are you planning to fit this into your life? And how are you planning on doing that without burning out?
0: Mm, Very important.
1: Because basically, I've just taken all of the free time you had. So now where does all that self-care and all that sustainability for yourself and your family, where does it go? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And a lot of people have been like, I don't know. I was planning on working from when I woke up to when I went to bed, which you can't be a great social worker. Yeah, it's not sustainable. If you work all day. Mm -hmm. Um, Other questions I ask... um, So things about, you know, where you see yourself in five years or what are you hoping to gain from this position? This, I know, can be a little bit of a tricky question because a lot of people are planning on, you know, getting their clinical hours, getting their independent license and, you know, moving into a managerial role or opening up their own private practice. But this is where you need to have a little bit of extra tact in your honesty. Your employer doesn't want to feel like a stepping stone and that you're going to quit in a year. So, you know, oh, I'm hoping, you know, to continue to grow and change and gain skills, you know, not saying that you don't need to be honest, but again, you want to be tactful with how much information you're giving. Uh, Because again, we don't, no employer wants high turnover rate. And if you're like, well, I have a hundred hours left until I get my LCSW and that's in like two months. And then when I get my LCSW, I want to start a private practice and I'll probably start scaling down my hours here. That's not a
0: good start. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Why would we start something that you are not going to finish? Especially if there are other candidates who are willing to, to stay long-term. right? And who want they, to grow and change and move yeah. into leadership positions. Mm-hmm.
1: Speaking of leadership positions in the bigger universe, Amelda, what are some things that you look for in macro candidates?
0: Yeah, um... A lot of these questions that you that you mentioned, Jennifer, these can all be also apply. Some of these, not all of them, but uh, a lot of these can also be applied to the macro setting. Um, so when we think of macro jobs or community based jobs, we think of um, you know how well you work with teams and what do you know about policy, how well informed you are about what's happening in the neighborhood and the community. We like to hear about a specific examples of how you have demonstrated specific skills. So um, and I feel like now more. And more Employers are, you know, trying to to gather this type of information, so they will ask questions like, "Tell me about a time when you presented um, a, a different way of doing things or a more efficient way of doing things to your team or your coworkers, and what was the outcome?" So we want to see that you have that leadership of presenting new ideas, but you also have the confidence of uh, of dealing with some pushback from from your coworkers. Mm-hmm. You know, that shows leadership skills um, that you were able to navigate, um, those, you know, different points of view. Um, so I will always say have, um, a short list of examples of where you have done specific things that, um, you can recall, uh, quickly, like, oh yes, I worked in this project and it was a difficult project because X, Y, and C, and this is how I, I approached it. And this is the outcome.
1: Yeah, so these are called behavioral questions and you can google behavioral questions job interviews or if you're looking for like very specific questions that places ask in an interview it's a smaller agency so you're not going to find it. But if it's a larger agency on Glassdoor, there's actually a section where people can post questions they were asked during an interview. Nice. If you want to really prepare yourself, but these are called behavioral questions, and like is saying, you want a
0: short list of very specific examples. Mm-hmm. And I believe we share a TikTok uh, with some of these. Um, I found a, a, a really a really interesting TikTok that I shared on our stories um, that has a few a few examples of these behavior questions. Yes, thank you. Um, also, another common question that we that you might encounter is um, why are you interested in working at our agency we when we bring people on um, as either you know working in community settings or working in program management um, we truly believe that you are our champion for our agency out in the community that you're going to represent our mission and our vision so we want to see what is it about the mission of our Agency or company that attracted you to apply, so you always want to tie it um, back to some maybe not the whole mission of the of the agency or the company, but you want to be able to in your answer share a few words of like this resonates with me because of this yeah. There's
1: uh, and also look at the job description too. Like you want to know the agency, but you should know which job you're applying for. One of the things that I've had candidates do is they're like, oh, well, I just applied to so many. I can't even remember which one this no. is. Never say Never that. Say Pull that. up the job description right before the interview, read it over and really understand what the company does. Google it if you need to, right? Like if you're scheduling for interviews, block off 15 minutes before the interview if you need to, to research the company. To refresh the job description, we do a model of care called collaborative care. And it's very specific, like DBT. You're either doing it or you're not. But people all the time are like, oh, I collaborate. I do that. And we're like, no, you don't. Not even close. But you know, it's very evident to us which of the people watch the video that we put in their scheduling email, and which people googled the company, exactly. and which people have no idea what's going
0: on. Mm-hmm. They, you know, a lot of them. Oh, I applied to so many jobs, I can't even remember. Exactly. Do your research. Um, I I have had my fair share of interviewees that, when I ask this question, they give me an answer. Um, that is completely off. That they said, "Oh, I, I want to work here because I love working with children." That's great. We serve children, but the position that you're applying for is to manage a program of that has nothing to do with direct services for children. Yes, our overall mission is to support children who are, you know, going through all this all these conditions. But your position wouldn't ever work with a patient or the client. So. Yeah, you can you can say that you're so, you know, you're supporting the mission and you're excited to work um, in continuing growing the organization and or helping the organization so they can impact the mission of helping children. But yeah, so you got to get there. You got to get there. Yeah. So do, doing your research is very, very important uh, on the mission and, and, and the position that you're applying for. Also, people might ask you, "What is what is the, the biggest problem or challenge that you think your local community faces, and why?" I have been asked this question before by by uh, local agencies where I have worked before, um, and and this is it can be a, a broad answer, uh, not necessarily has to be you know pinpointed to one specific thing. But this they ask this question because they want you to see they want to see how Mm well-informed you are about the current state of things in your community, especially if it's a local nonprofit or local grassroots organization is doing work on the ground. So um, think of the, you know, the 12 grand challenges of social work um, that can help you guide, you know, the, the, Some of the things that most communities are working on, um, to advance, you know, the well-being of their individuals. So you probably heard of the grand challenges, grand challenges through your social work practice classes. So refer back to those. Um, and these are all good answers. Um, you know, if it's homelessness or, you know, increasing, uh, funding for Head Start programs or, You name it. You know, there's so many things that that communities are working on, but you want to demonstrate that you have an overall good understanding of how what are the challenges of the local community? um, And more specifically, what are the things that the agency where you're applying for it's doing to solve this issue? Also, they might ask you, especially if you're applying for positions that require fundraising or advocacy in the community, uh, they might ask, what experience do you have working on a strategic plans or having a fundraising goal? So when we work um, in nonprofit development and management, most of these positions have some type of um, a fundraising goal or a strategic big goal for the year. So Agencies or organizations, they go through um, every fiscal year. They create new goals for the upcoming year. So, they—if you have you have had an experience uh, putting strategic plans or working on a specific goal for for the fiscal year—say that. Um, you don't necessarily have to have this experience, but it's always a plus. And if you can incorporate that into your in your resume and your answers, it's always a plus. Also, um, most. I will say most, but a good, a good amount of um, community based positions require you to have some, or you will be doing some type of, uh, planning or leading or hosting events, even if it's, um, it could be fundraising events or it can be community education events, um, you know, town halls, um, doing psychoeducation for the community, uh, bringing, doing focus groups, etc. So if you have had any experience Leading events, organizing events, even if it's in a, as a volunteer uh, position or as in your personal life, you want to be able to reflect that that you can make a plan for an event, um, how you organize social media outreach around it, um, create a budget for that event, how you're going to follow up with your attendees, etc. So from start to finish, um, this is something that. If you're working in community-based agencies, you're probably going to have some type of involvement in event planning or hosting um, and doing outreach in that way. So even if if you had experience, you know, helping out family, you know, putting Mm -hmm. events together. Small events. Small events, yeah. Or, um, you know... Distributing flyers in the community for a specific thing as a volunteer. um, All those things count because all of that is community reach and bringing people from outside to inside of of the agency, of bringing them, making them aware of what you're doing. Going along with that, um, if you have an experience working with volunteers, recruiting and retraining volunteers is always a plus in any nonprofit. Um, organization that you work with especially if you're doing program management and development you want they, they want to see that you have some understanding of how recruitment retention or volunteers work because we we use volunteers a lot mm-hmm. uh, for for a lot of the the um, the activities that we do so um, think of your networks and your connections if you I I used to say like, oh, well, I have a big network at ASU or the, you know, at Arizona State University where I used to, you know, where I got my degree. And I know a lot of social workers there that I can invite. That counts. That counts too, because you, it shows that you have, you, you know how to tap into your network, into your connections um, to, you know, share, share the mission of the work that you're doing. Something that, Probably all positions in macro settings will ask you is to tell them about a time or a project where you worked with multiple, multiple stakeholders or as a multidisciplinary team. In nonprofits, community nonprofits, we work a lot with other agencies. Um, we work with the state, we work with the city we work at different stakeholders. So showing any type of experience that you have had working with multiple people from outside the agency, it's always a plus. Um, I think if you have been a case manager and you have experience working with child and family teams, um, use that, you know, use that as is part of your prior answer uh, or highlight that on your, on your resume um, that you've been able to, Lead meetings mm-hmm. and uh, create goals for, for a common, create, yeah, action plans for a common goal um, with multiple people from different agencies sitting at the table. Um, that's always a plus because it shows, again, that leadership and those planning skills that are so, so needed and efficient in working in, in macro, macro practices. And if you are like, you know, if you want to go into the fundraising side and you're applying for a fundraising position, um, something that we always ask is what is your approach to engage a potential partner or sponsor? You know, doing cold calling sometimes works, but, um, if you have a, you know, good understanding of how would you approach a potential small business or an organization that it's in your community that you want to invite them to be a sponsor for one of your events. So this is where your social work skills come into place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the same way that we do assessments with clients, we do assessments of agencies and people. Uh, we find common ground. We do your research on what is the, what are the community given pillars of the organization, of the company. Um, and we, we use that, to, to connect with them um so you know being able to connect and nurture re- professional relationships in that way goes goes a long way if you're into into applying for a fundraising position but I'm maybe not necessarily fundraising because b- when you work in in let's say like you know as a program management mm-hmm. uh, or program evaluation position, you have to work with other agencies as well you have All to work time. with other uh, funders, with other um, stakeholders. So, and, and the only way that you're going to be efficient in that position is because you're able to create strong relationships with those individuals. So, all those social work skills that you have as, as a direct practitioner, you can apply those to the macro setting as well. Absolutely. Just don't therapize right. any of your potential sponsors. <laughs> Yeah, I mean in the way of um, growing relationships and connecting, yes. you know? Yeah, yeah. so let's say you survived
1: one of these interviews with Imelda or I. At the end of pretty much any interview, your interviewer will probably ask, do you have any questions? And Imelda and I are going to share a couple of our favorites. So two of my favorites are, the first one is, what's your biggest problem right now and what helped you need solving it? I mean, if anybody asks me this, like, I am just over the moon because, you know, everyone has individual things and needs they want, but, you know, also you're becoming a part of a larger system, right? Like you're working on a team in most cases. So how are you going to make it, you know, the agency better? How are you going to contribute your skills, your education, your knowledge, the things that you're best at? How can you help solve the problems that they're facing? So what's your biggest problem right now and what helps you need solving it? Another one that I think is great, especially if you feel like you didn't do really well or you feel like it almost went too good, um, is, you know, based on our conversation, what concerns might you have about hiring me so that I might provide some additional clarity? I had someone do this, you know, a couple weeks ago. I've asked it at every single interview I've ever gone to. And I think it's probably helped me out a lot. Because a lot of times, you know, people are shocked in the moment that you're asking them Mm -hmm. to tell you, like, you know, what's not going well. And for a lot of you who maybe haven't gotten jobs before and you get the rejection email after what you thought was a good interview and you're like, I don't understand, this should probably help clear up that misunderstanding most of the time. So you'll either understand why you're not getting the position um, or you'll get the chance to kind of counter with, oh, actually, you know, my apologies, it didn't come up before, but let me share with you some additional experience, skills, etc." cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, somebody asked us, you know, a couple weeks ago and I was like, well, first of all, that's one of my favorite questions. I always ask it. You know, number two, I'm concerned that you don't have enough experience in individual modalities. And, you know, we need folks to kind of hit the ground running and be able to be in sessions with clients comfortably. And I'm wondering if you feel like you have enough skills and competence to do that because normally the folks we hire are trained in at least a couple things so that they can at least do CBT or they can at least do motivational interviewing from day one. Mm-hmm. And she said, yep, absolutely understand. I'd be happy, you know, I'll sign up for a couple intensives. I can do some CEUs over the next couple weeks depending on the hiring date. You know, I'd be happy to individually get my skills up to the level that you would expect of a practitioner at your agency.
0: And I hired her because I thought that was great. Yeah, Yeah, it it has been my experience that sometimes, um, especially during this last process of the interview when the interviewee gets to ask questions to the person doing the interview. Um, it It's a shift. It's about, it's, it's a shift of power mm-hmm. uh, because now you're the person who is sitting, you're, you're the one asking the questions and kind of like you're holding that power of now I am interviewing you mm-hmm. and it, your anxiety decreases because you're able to think you're not on the hot seat anymore, uh, they are the ones sharing. Right. So uh, it ha- I feel like it's happened to to most of us that you give an answer and then a few minutes later, you're like, shoot, I should have said that. Mm-hmm. Like, I forgot to mention this. So this is a great chance for you to continue that more organic conversation and be able to share those things that you missed out at the beginning of the interview because you were nervous or, you know, you blanked out. So, following along with the questions that Jennifer mentioned, um, two of the questions that that I, I enjoy when uh, when people ask me, uh, or that I consider, you know, a good way to have this conversation is, uh, what would you consider to be the biggest challenge this position will face, and why? So, when when we're having the interview, um, I feel like we're all thinking that. Oh, like this position is so you know, roses and puppies and rainbows and everything's going to be fine. It's, you know, this is the greatest position that I'm applying for, greatest organization. You know, we embellish everything. So when we ask or when the person asks us, you know, what is the biggest challenge you think this position, my position that I'm applying for will face and why? It gives us a chance to say, you know, um, maybe there is like a funding or maybe, um, you know, coming out of the pandemic and we're trying to re- uh, revamp services, um, you know, it gives us a chance for all of us to be more transparent and say, like, this is some of the challenges that you will most likely face. But we also provide all these other support services or support to you as a team um, that you can you know, you can count on us. You right. can rely you'll on us. Up you'll make it. Yeah, side. you'll make. Yeah. So it gives everyone a chance to, you know, just relax a little bit and be more transparent of what this position is truly about. And it and it tells me that you are very aware that not everything is going to be so positive all the time, but that you're willing to take the risk and be up to the challenge. Right? Things are hard, but mm-hmm. I can do hard things. Exactly. Um, I had an interview, we recently asked me something that I thought it was uh, a really good question and it's relevant to, you know, the current situation right now. And she asked, um, what is one of the main things you have learned during the last year as you have had to adjust to work, to doing the work that you do during the pandemic and why? And we we were doing doing an interview with a panel of six people and Mm -hmm. everyone like, had to take a moment. So like, oh, I don't think everyone has ever asked us this question Um, because everyone in their own specific position or responsibilities had to think of like, oh, well, this is the biggest thing, uh, the most important thing that I have learned that I had to adjust. And so it gave her an insight of what we go through on every day in our positions and, and, um, and what to look forward to. And also, you know, lets us know that, that you're thinking ahead of, you know, again, like those challenges and 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 how things um, change, you know, as we as we go and as we try to adjust to to changes.
1: Absolutely, because there's there's change all the time, right? Change is mm-hmm. number one reason why social workers get involved in people's lives. <laughs> Either mm-hmm. negative changes are happening, or they want positive changes. Yep. So understanding how your employer grows, develops, adapts is going to be really telling of what might be your experience there and also how you can contribute to that learning and growing and changing. Another thing that we kind of want to reiterate is that you have a lot of skills from your school, from your internship, from your capstone, from your project, whatever you did during your MSW or BSW. And, you know, Also, your prior jobs, right? A lot of us didn't come straight out of high school and straight into social work school and straight into their master's program. A lot of us worked along the way. And there's no reason to hide that. There's no shame about it. But it's, again, how do you take the skills that you have and transform them to the lens of this job or to the social work field? So for example, maybe a lot of you and I know I personally worked in customer service for too. many years <laughs> for many companies. Um, so that's client activation and cultivation that is dealing with complaints, right? Not everyone's going to be 100% mm-hmm. happy with your services all the time. That shows me that you know how to cope with that and you know how to be cool under pressure in uncomfortable situations, right? Social work, again, change makes people uncomfortable. A lot of times people are going to customer service because they're uncomfortable they want to change. That shows me that you have that skill, but sometimes you might need to reiterate that for an employer, or you might need to rewrite your resume a little bit Mm -hmm. to show off some of those skills. Another one, um, a lot of jobs include doing inventory, right? That sounds like boring and like a normal part of lots of jobs. But reframing it as like, oh, I did data collection, I did management and organizing, I was responsible for the accuracy, I was responsible for the collection, the management, you know, of this many items, you know, I did asset protection, etc. You know, those are all things that are going to help you in the field, give yourself credit for those kinds of things.
0: Right. And it's all about how you present those skills. Um, if you attended community events as part of your previous position or, um, you know, part of the volunteer um, engagement that you have done, that translates into networking and outreach. It shows that you want to be involved in the community, that you want to be an active participant of of what's happening in your neighborhood and in your city, If you have done volunteer work in the past, which I feel like most social workers, right. most social uh, students have done it, um, that translates into community engagement. It shows leadership and a commitment to improving systems and in working for the greater good. Um, so you know what, we, what we're going for is that um, a lot of the skills that you have either acquired through your internship or other jobs that you might feel like, oh, this was not social work related, I'm not even going to mention it, no, you acquire a lot of skills that will help you navigate the position that you are applying for, um, because you have grown and you have um, learned those things that will be applicable to to working, you know, in that position. So don't sell yourself short. But with all that being said, Jennifer, did I get the job, and when can I start? uh we'll we'll call you we'll call you <laughs> we had you
1: have to check references yeah we we just have a lot of really qualified candidates right now and the... dang it
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we encourage you to check out the resources and links provided on our website under this episode and we wish you all the best of luck in your post-graduation journey remember that you know more than you think and you need to spit it out in your interview and sell yourself and be awesome see you next time